I sort of know what I want, but I don't know the exact keywords to it, and I want to find something. The AI sort of helps me in like bringing that to surface. everyone thanks for tuning into notes of design to help support our mission spread knowledge we have a very special guest on today's episode let's welcome akshay kore who is a product designer working on human computer interaction problem he has previously worked with ai and research groups at microsoft and also led team for sme vertical at cleartech he's presently worked with observe ai designing for ai products and systems on this episode akshay had shared great insights on how ai is used to design for great products and services and being a designer how one can utilize the power of ai to equip that into their regular flow with that we have also spoken about the various process and step it takes for a designer to shift his mindset on building products for ai in the end we have discussed on the hk scenarios and providing the delightful experiences to the end users hope you guys enjoy this episode and on every friday we release a new episode with a new creative leader around the world to help you understand different topics related to design so don't forget to tune in into notes of design on every friday with that said happy designing everyone Hi Akshay, welcome to Notes of Design. It's a pleasure hosting you today on our show. Thanks, Dej. Really happy to be here. So Akshay, how's your day going? Uh, it's going pretty good. Like, it's a nice uh, weekend. So Akshay, what is your journey into design and how did you start? What are your tips to the beginners that you want to suggest? My journey, I would say, like has been like pretty, I would say, st- standard. I studied architecture for five years. And uh, while I was doing architecture, I would participate in a number of competitions and stuff. And eventually I realized that... Uh, I was more interested in like the tools that made architecture possible than like the act of building itself. So yeah, I decided to like pursue that and like I joined IIT Bombay where I studied interaction design for like HCI, human computer interaction. It was a good way of like me trying to learn these things because I was interested and generally it felt pretty home in that sort of an environment. I was always interested in science versus the arts side of things and like IIT Bombay was I would say, a good place for me. Then um, after that, uh, when it came to like picking companies, I sort of like wanted to go into like pure technology company, which is why I like sort of interviewed for Microsoft and like thankfully got in was there about um, three and a half years where I worked with uh, the AI research division, which is where I sort of like got interested in AI and like learned a lot there and like worked on a lot of AI products. Was that I was at uh, PlayerTax for a bit and then now I'm now I'm working at a startup called Observe AI, which is a pure AI startup. Generally, I would say like it's generally been me trying to pursue whatever I'm interested in at the moment. Like because I became interested in AI, I sort of like uh, lean towards companies for like projects have that those things and I also wanted to like I realized that working in AI was like a very unique opportunity for me at that time and I started like writing stuff conducting a few workshops participating in conferences which is like a very good place to like learn from other people tips to beginners I would say if you are interested in something like just try to pursue it like it's the uh, there's something called as a regret minimization framework where uh, just analyze the cost of not pursuing it 
And if you think if the cost is not too high, for example, it doesn't affect your livelihood too much or it, it doesn't affect your like long-term career trajectory and you're interested in something and that could potentially make you like happy or like satisfied with what you do, I would suggest you pursue that. So for example, if you're if you're somebody who is curious about design and wants to get into it, maybe try doing something on the weekends or like trying Try dipping your, uh, your toes into the field because uh, generally it's, I would say it's quite an open field. Like there are no like barriers to entry. Like I've seen like one way to get into design is through like the whole degree route, which I took. But then there are a lot of people who have like gone into design without having like specific professional degrees in design. And that also works because here in the age of internet, everything is available. All information that you need often much better than what you might taught at your colleges will be there online i would suggest if you're interested i would say go ahead this is a very good time anyway to get into design and a lot of it's going to branch out into a lot of specified fields so it's going to be like design for and like for whatever industry you want good time for that i would my only tip is that if you're interested try it out yeah indeed Akshat. that's correct so let's begin our episode with designing for ai product so mm-hmm. how is ai used in products or services does the ai hold like a lot of potential for designers so how one can utilize this potential yeah so i have been uh, sort of started to form this thesis around like how uh, ai can be used by designers generally ai and ml things are considered to be very technical in nature and often like uh, non-technical people like it could be product managers or designers are generally confused about how they can sort of contribute to this process. One thing to understand is that at the end of it, the products you're building and the the design that you're delivering is about people and any AI solutions is also going to be about people. So if you look at it from that sort of a perspective, then it sort of like changes the way you think about AI and not get bogged down by the technical aspects of it. It's generally, if you think about it at like a, an abstract level, it's it's quite simple. Like basically, what you what you generally do with any sort of AI products is that uh, you sort of map out the journey of a customer or journey of your user, and um, you sort of find out opportunities where you could either like augment or automate. So let me like just highlight a little bit on augmentation and automation. Automation means that you completely remove the human from the process. And then you let the computer or the system do everything that you want. Augment means that you sort of help the humans in doing that job better. For example, Grammarly is a great example of an augmentation tool. So the act of writing is done by you, but the AI simply suggests you what direction you could take. It now has like intents and stuff like that. But Grammarly solved that problem of helping you in your current task or like Google search is an example where like I, I sort of know what I want, but I don't know the exact keywords to it and I'd want to find something, the AI sort of helps me in like bringing that to surface, which is, I would say, if a human had to do it, it would be a very repetitive task. You would have to go through all web pages on the internet and then like see this thing, which is not very high value for humans, but computers can do, do them easily. So if you're getting into AI, you're generally just doing these things. So either like augmenting stuff or automating stuff, and you're like trying to find out, the, or trying to map out the user journey and then find out opportunities. One thing I would like to point out is that the way you use AI in your products or like your designs, uh, design is like a very superficial word, I would say, in your user experience, is that you need to understand what kind of company you're in. There are two types of companies when it comes to the AI world. One is a company that simply uses AI to like sort of augment or automate their current workflows. They basically use AI to help in workflows. So for example, you're in a, let's say you're in a, an automobile company, let's say, and then you're trying to in that 
in that sense, you are primarily an automobile manufacturer, you're not an AI company, and you're trying to use AI in those cases to like simplify workflows or help users and improve the experience at certain touch points. In that case, what you would do is you would look at how, how a person gets into a car. When the person gets into a car, what like then you do some sort of seat adjustment edit. Then can you do like you think about things like depending on the person who is inside the car, can I like change the settings in the car? Can the car be sort of personalized based on identity? That's where you sort of you start using it. Or like then you like extrapolate that to what is identity. And then you say that, hey, the way a person sits is also a way of eye biometrics. My posture is very different from you. And if I can like create a database out of that, I don't even need to scan your retina or anything. I can just simply sit and understand who it is and the technology. But here you're still not an AI first company. You're still like building the car. The components of the car remain the same, but you're simply improving those components by like seamless entry or like personalization and stuff like that that is one type of company and which is like which is sort of most of the companies and then there is the other type of company which is an ai first company which means that you sort of every decision you make ai is also a stakeholder so that means that if you are like uh, if, so if you're an ai first company uh, you would sort of optimize your workflows for the user and for the ai at the same time what that means is that you think of AI as a long-term asset for a company and the stronger the AI you have, the better your company is. And um, when you're like, an example I would give you is Google Maps. Like Google Maps is an AI first company. How So Google spent a lot of efforts and capital on building the map infrastructure. It, is, it does not directly relate to revenue at the moment. Um, they spent a lot of, uh, I'm sure they spent a lot of time and effort and like money on like building their AI models, predicting the best route. They don't it doesn't have like any immediate revenue attached to it it's free for you to use more or less and what they get in exchange is data about drivers and data about how people track and they want to someday or like they've already started that or they want to use this data as like a very strong point to sell other things on top for example advertisement on or uh, if you do sort of if you were to like if somebody was trying to build the best sort of a delivery or logistic system google is a very good contender as an api they sort of started building their entire product with the mindset of being like trying to tune their AI models so that every user action sort of like also helps them in improving uh, their own models. That is like a stark difference I would make. If, if Google was not an AI first company, here's what they would have done probably. They would have uh, built a mapping system. They would have like tried to have individual humans trying to like map out routes for stuff. And it's like a very long and long-winded and like expensive process. At some point, if they did not have the AI mindset, they would have given up on the project. And like things like Google Earth and stuff might not have. A lot of efforts in an AI first company don't appear to be affecting revenue, making a dent on the revenue. But if you think of it as a system as a whole, it sort of starts like making it like a stronger organization or like stronger. Thank you so much, Akshay, for explaining us in such detail. So what it takes for a designer to get started into designing for AI products or services? What is your process? Uh, I would say I also sort of dabble a little bit, but I have like sort of like developed a process for myself. This might not be like a textbook process of doing this. And in fact, there, there are no textbook process for building AI products. 
but this is generally what works for me. One is very similar to your current design process, which is you start by building a map or like a user journey of your user. And then once you've done that workflow, you start of finding out places where AI can sort of help. Another thing to understand is that this is like sort of a mindset change that you need to bring. Before AI, all the products that you were building were very deterministic in nature. So for example, if I type a command, it will definitely give me the answer or it will not give me the answer. It's a binary every time. Once you start working in AI, you need to understand that all AI products are statistical and probabilistic in nature. What that means is you never get a 100% sure answer. You get a 99% sure answer. And once you know that your uh, the results that you get out of an AI, uh, for example, a voice system, right? Like if you talk to a voice assistant, it could output multiple answers and uh, your job as a product person or a designer is to like pick help um, the engineering team pick the right answer depending on the context your understanding context and like the idea that AI products are going to be very probabilistic in nature which means that when I ask an Alexa to like the capital city of India it could first understand so when I structure the sentence capital city of India there are multiple interpretations of this audio signal which the AI will have for example it might understand that it is capital city of something that rhymes with India but then it realizes that realizes that oh India it, it's uh, it's saying capital city so the context is of some sort of a location and some sort of a country sort of filters that down to like a country and then India becomes which is where the probabilistic nature comes after that even when answering sometimes you would like have direct answers to questions for example capital city in the case of capital city you would like generally have like an answer quickly firing for those things but for some questions which don't have a clear answer buying houses that right? if you were like looking for renting house or buying a house there are multiple factors that come into play like it would depend on how much you can spend where do you want the house what is the size of the house you want how many rooms does it need and all these factors depending on all these factors the ai will give you a list of suggestions that it thinks that it is the best house for you right? and uh, here uh, the probabilistic nature comes in where you can use this idea that it is 90% sure that this is the house you want then it is 60% sure this is the second house you want then 30% sure the third house you want you can use this idea of degrees of probability to guide your design so instead of like having like a yes no answer you have like a yes maybe yes maybe no no and like understanding these degrees of probability and degrees of degrees as to which you could answer the question is something that uh, should keep in mind when designing AI products apart from that uh, mainly uh, if you are in understanding that whether you need any need AI in your product at all is also something that you should consider there are some general thumb rules for doing that uh, is it a repetitive task is it a task that humans don't enjoy doing is it a task where humans would be okay to, to hand it off to somebody else anything that you could delegate or like anything that generally takes less than one second of thought is something that you can automate for example in the case of grammarly if i'm typing a sentence me telling you that it is incorrect it takes less than one second of thought and that is something that an ai can do but anything more complex like writing a report or like choosing doing interior design or like anything creative like uh, i would say like even building a product is a creative activity which requires more than one second of thought more it requires a lot more thought and it requires like a it requires some sort of creative thinking and like decisions are not always apparent for example if, if you were doing interior design for your house your taste might be much different from mine and it will be very difficult for an ai to like, tell you exactly it would be incorrect for an ai to 
to dictate what your choices are. In those cases, you would sort of work. Uh, there are also some cases where it does not make sense to use AI. For example, you're dealing with static lists, it does not make sense to use AI. For example, if you're dealing a simple dictionary of words and searching from a dictionary, it's not a problem that you should use AI to solve. If you are like, of course, like you could like over-engineer stuff and like solve these problems also, but generally this is not recommended. And even for creative uh, pursuits, if you break that problem into like very small, minor, minute number of tasks, you can like still find like some opportunities. Uh, but short answer would be like do a workflow mapping. If you want to get into a understand that first question you need to ask yourself and your product team is whether you really need AI to solve this problem. Because uh, building AI products is a time-consuming process. So it is not something that you switch on. It generally takes three to six months easily of work and ever teams effort to build a decent enough model. And in many cases, it will be much more than that. So that is also a cost that you need to keep in mind. And if something can be solved, and if you want to go to market quickly, then AI is not a good way to go. But if you're like willing to like spend effort and rigor and time on like building the model, and you think that it is going to provide immense value to the customer, then like by all means, like go ahead with it. Thank you so much, Akshay. So how to design for edge cases to properly satisfy user expectations and provide them delightful experiences? So generally, edge cases are things that uh, um, you don't predict. If your system is trying to do a particular task, in many cases, for a lot of edge cases, your users sort of expect that it will not be able to handle. And uh, generally, a thing that a mental model that I sort of use often is called second-order thinking to identify these edge cases. So, for example, what you do is that you imagine your product to be out there. Do this exercise where you ask then what, then what, then what, multiple. I am searching for, so in the case of, let's say, an AI assistant that helps you with football scores. Okay. Tells you like some analytics and predict stuff. So, you ask it uh, who is going to win, win the match tomorrow. It says like Arsenal or Manchester United. Then you're like, while you're doing that, you're also like telling them we are... 60% sure that Manchester United might win and 40% sure that Arsenal might win the match. Then you ask, then what? Then what is the user going to do with this information? What would happen if, if there was no match like that? What would you do? What would happen if what you predicted was wrong? What do you do in that? Uh, what would happen if you, your AI system somehow like crashes? Like your system somehow crashes and you don't know, like your system doesn't know what to do. It's like a 504 sort of an error that you get. So in each of these cases, and again, like if you think deeper into the problem, you'll find out a lot more and that could happen a lot more opportunities. So one is that if your system sort of fails, you can either like, there are two ways. One is that you let the user continue, which is uh, you sort of, instead of showing that match, you tell them that, hey, I don't think there's a match like that. Why don't you look at this or any historical match that has happened? You can also use these cases as opportunities for improving a product. What this means is that if you are, uh, if you have like, if your product has made some mistakes, turn those like uh, mistakes into like some sort of opportunities to collect feedback in some sense, so that you don't make that mistake the next time. If I say, if we come to the point of delighting users, there are different ways of doing that. One is that to use some sort of micro interactions, uh, animation, and stuff like that. Um, other is like. I have this uh, very strong viewpoint, which is that uh, in most cases, your uh, users don't really want to interact with technology. They just want to get a job done. Surprise and delight are interesting things to pursue if if they if your users sort of are engaged into the system. So, for example, if you are 
in in like an instagram delight makes sense but if you are in like a logistics or like a delivery sort of an app delight might not always make sense you would start rather optimize your app for like doing the task first delight can come from like things like the branding and like the way you do the messaging or like the copy editing of stuff generally i think uh, doing that will come very be very dependent on the context you are in Yeah, so one is providing delightful experiences using AI. Yeah, so that is interesting. So, for example, if uh, you can like start using opportunities where like your AI start starts getting stuck or does not have answers to things, as like either being places where you collect some sort of feedback and that can and that feedback can also have some sort of a humor to it. For example, when you ask an assistant that can you fly a plane, it can either say no or it could like reply with some sort of a joke. about flying or it both those things sort of can convey the same sort of an intent but the second intent sort of feels much more warm and more friendly and more human that like in depending it will depend on your context if you're building like consumer products that like doing humor and like these things are generally like great but if you're doing like very dour uh, enterprise sort of products that like otherwise a product does not convey this feeling of humor and stuff like that then it might not be sense to use humor and in that case you might use something else stuff like some quote or some poem or like some video about why it can't do stuff like that generally it can also be an opportunity where you start explaining why it didn't do what you expected it to do and how the user can help in improving the product and that sort of like makes the user also involved into your product experience so there are like some yeah these are like some tips to like build delight thank you so much akshay we'll conclude by you recommending three favorite books of yours and any three people who inspire you the most in this ecosystem yeah uh, thanks sage i don't have three favorite books but i have like three recent books which are been very impactful for me so one was uh, his book called great mental models by Shane Parrish, who writes a blog called Farnham Street, generally about product management and like decision making. Then uh, this is a fiction book called Three Body Problem. It's a science fiction book, very interesting. I'd not, I don't want to reveal the plot, but it is honestly like one of the better science fiction books I've read in a long time. And like uh, it's a book that I keep thinking about a lot. And the third one is uh, this book called. Deep Work by Cal Newport. I'm sure like a lot of people have already read it. It's, it talks about how the most important asset in the information economy right now is attention, up and like the ability to do deep work for long, uh, for for a consistent uh, consistent amount of time. Yeah, it's like it's changed a lot of. It's changed the way I do a lot of things now. People who inspire me. So I don't have three, but I have like third person I couldn't really think of. But two people like jump out. One is Tim Orban. He writes about blog called Made But Why. Uh, this is something that I I'm also like interested in generally. Like even writing about and like thinking. His process is around like. writing to learn better and when you write something you are also like regurgitating those thoughts and like forming better opinions about things and like he has a funny way on way of uh, explaining things that is one person i sort of like refer to a lot um second one is uh, john mider and uh, yeah i like his uh, idea of the computational designer where um, the role of a designer is fully like merging into like a lot of other fields and uh, you might uh, eventually find that understanding computation is also going to be one of uh, an important skills for not that a designer needs to code or anything just the fact that you need to understand how technology works because as a digital designer you are building the technology so understanding 
basics of it or like understanding the mental models around how you can build products and utilize technology in the best possible way is something that aligns very well with what I do and aligns closely to what I have, what my thoughts are around design. So yeah, these are the two people. Thank you so much, Akshay, for giving us your wonderful time and joining the Mission Spread Knowledge. We are looking forward to host you again very soon. All right. Thank you so much, Tej. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you.